0: It's so great to be back here again. You, you guys are like my second home. You know that? <laughs> Just so you know. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Um, I don't know if the title puzzled you. I want to taste all the notes. Yes, there's a double entendre there. Um, so I want to talk about wine. <laughs> I want to talk about a lot of things. I want to start talking about wine. My parents, uh, we're both italian immigrants um i was just staring at the little trunk that my father brought over at the age of 11 i didn't realize my sister had it uh, my sister with whom i was visiting a week or so ago so i was i was actually thinking about this and um when um when i was growing up in an italian household you know wine wasn't something that um was 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 banned by any means um it was just a part of our, of our meals, of of our celebrations, and all that. And I grew up with the same calculus about wine that I would say most wine drinkers grew up with: red for meat, white for fish. <laughs> and I can't eat pork, so you know. <laughs> um, and then I, I um, like a lot of us, I learned a little bit about. Um, about wine. I, I wouldn't call myself an enophile. That's your word for the day. All my students, by the way, get a new word every day. So your new word for the day, if you didn't know it already, is enophile, O-E-N-O-phile, a wine lover. Um, all enophiles know that really the only calculus is to drink from the, the wines you like. And And wine's complicated. Wine is made up of what enophiles call notes, flavor notes. And some of them are are kind of disgusting. <laughs> I mean, from a from a if you isolate those notes, loamy. Who wants to sip something that's loamy? Right? Or you, you get the drift. But um, all of these notes go into uh, the finished product that a winemaker crafts into a really lovely accompaniment to a meal into an occasion. Um. There's a musical parallel, obviously. The word notes certainly has meaning in music. But uh, more specifically, the idea of dissonance and consonance. You know what... Um, can, can I borrow the piano for a second? I don't play piano very well. You, you know what consonant is. But it's fluid. It evolves. In early medieval church music, the only consonants were unisons, octaves, and fits. Very simple intervals. The idea of major, minor, modal tonalities, dissonant. In fact, the most dissonant interval we have Consonance is an acquired aesthetic. So is dissonance. We need both. You you cannot have music that's entirely consonant. I'll just say this from a personal standpoint. I wouldn't make a very good living at it. You need the dissonance, like a bas-relief needs negative space to set off the positive space. I don't even like that analogy so much because it casts one as negative and one as positive, but they're opposites, and and, and dissonance is important. I alluded to this a little bit in last night's concert, but I was trying to tease people to come here today to talk more about it. The idea that um, the reason I get to swim in so many musical streams isn't this dilettante love of, different musical traditions and oh I'm going to put this into my music I'm going to put that in there. no it's not that about it's not about that at all it's it's about immersion not not just surface swimming and how I get through all these different streams of music and and exploring all these traditions really boils down to three very simple principles and I like to say I apply them to all of the arts I would say I even apply them in life, particularly in my in my personal relationships. Um, the first one is unity versus contrast. We have to have something that unifies the the song those you know if you were here last night, everybody knew the words to andrew's song beyond borders that 's the unifying element of it the The verses are the contrasting element um The other, uh, the next one is tension versus release. Yes, tension can be a good thing. Tension versus release. You know tension. But tension is what sets up that release. Finally, development. In music, that's complicated. That's what, that's what good composers do. They take uh, a musical idea, they develop it, they make it evolve. From a personal standpoint, it's, it's our way to evolve. It's our way to have divergent thinking. It's a way to consider another point of view. It's a way to add notes to our mix. Um, there's another wine analogy I want to share with you, and it's, it's the concept of terroir, the idea that it's the soil that really informs the finished product. And I didn't know anything about this when I was a kid of maybe, I think I was 22 when I did an interview on um, um, Morning Edition with National Public Radio's Tom Cole. And Tom's brilliant. He's on the air right now, so you can stream him later on on WPFW. Tom's brilliant. One of my oldest, dearest friends. And um, Tom had a had a way of asking a question that I was not expecting. You know, usually you go to these interviews, I even knew this then, with your talking points about the upcoming show I was doing at the Barnes of Old Trap and blah blah blah. And you, and then Tom just throws you a, a big, slow curveball that you totally whiff through, and it sends the conversation in another place. And I've never forgotten this. He asked me, I was living in Winchester at the time. I was living out in the hills of Frederick County. And he said, this music that you and your band plays, you know, it it has an almost pastoral sound to it. Does where you live, does living in such a pastoral place inform the way you perform and improvise? And this doesn't happen very often, but I was quiet for about five seconds on, on the air, <laughs> on national public radio. <laughs> and I said, Tom, I never really thought about it, but I think it does. I think on one level it's a very sophisticated urban music that we were doing. We were so-called classically trained musicians playing this very sophisticated kind of improvisation. But yes, we were all living in this very you know, blessed place, uh, this beautiful idyllic place in in the hills of of uh, Virginia and it definitely informed it and I've never forgotten that and I've tried to cultivate it to further the metaphor. I've actually tried to think about how where I live can inform what I do and now much beyond music. It's pretty much why I live in Colorado. I I landed in Boulder the first time and I said, "Boy, I've so found my tribe. I've so found my terroir." You know, I could I could live here, I can thrive here. And, um, you know, it's good to, it's good to snip the root and go transplant it in another place and see what else can grow. And that's, that's what I did. Um, so these principles, uh, these artistic principles and these, these growth principles, um, matter to not just me as an artist, but to me as a world citizen. And, um, I'll say those, those uh, notes that go into my soil are complicated. You know, it's, it starts with our history, actually. It starts with our ancestors. And that can be our literal ancestors, it can be our cultural ancestors. Um, it, it also includes uh, the future. I have two grandchildren. This is where you say, You're too young to have grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> I have two young young grandsons um and the they're the future they're they're the future notes that are going into that soil I'm their ancestral notes they are the future notes so um I'm 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 cultivating that generation too or helping to um not all of these ingredients are pleasant ones I mentioned loamy um and um all the other Weird adjectives that go into a wine tasting event. I hate those things. Just, just, let's drink the wine, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, they, and like, like in wine, maybe in life, some of the ingredients can be, as standalones, a little funky. You know, sorrow. Sorrow is a tough note. Um, I think sorrow is best absorbed into our soil as a, as a side note to that joy. It sets off the joy, uh, like a bar, again, like a bas-relief. We, um, we have to be present in both the sorrow and the joy. Um, I like to, in, when I'm in concert, I'll, I'll talk about an entity I totally made up called the Cosmic Messenger. I'll often introduce this one piece with an introduction, a story that's much longer than the, the song itself, the piece itself. But my idea is that there's wisdom every day to be found. Every day we can, we can find wisdom if we're open to it. But sometimes that wisdom isn't a happy note. You know, it's going to be a sorrowful note. I don't know that I have the answer to where the wisdom is in sorrow. Um, I'm, I'm of an age where, there there are more sorrowful notes happening as as people in the generation ahead of me and my generation are passing. You know, there's sorrow. But then again, they're part of that historical towar as well. So I I try to keep present in both of those things. Um I'm a sports fan. I still follow the capitals. I only go to one Avs game a year. It's when they play the Capitals. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who works at the Can, and, and I get tickets. Well, like many of you, that, that morning, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a late night for, for, for me, because uh, just just watching the sheer joy of this town when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. I remember when the Capitals first were born, so I I can really appreciate the fact that this happened. There was a lot of joy in our household. Um, and I, I'm not exaggerating when I say there were tears of joy. I, I was that joyful. I was that moved. By watching this group of teammates uh, share with each other, right down to the 26th person who sat most of the season. And... A mere hours later, somebody else I really admire, Anthony Bourdain, kills himself. And I was equally moved to tears. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I love the irreverence that Anthony Bourdain brought to a lot of things that we all take too seriously, like food and wine and music. And um quick digression, there's six degrees of separation, right? I actually have a connection with each of those entities. My I I was once married to somebody whose brother sharpened the skates of the Washington Capitals. <laughs> and Anthony Bourdain in one of his last episodes conducted an interview on a tandem bike and about 4 years ago uh there's a there's a series called um Take a Seat where you the host is on a tandem bike, and and he gets different people to ride on the bike, and they visit cultures and talk about music, and and some of my music wound up in in his uh, documentary uh, in North Africa. So I was, I was I was okay. There's a little little six degrees of separation in those two entities. Uh, never got to work with Anthony Bourdain. I would have loved to. I have a feeling we would have had a lot to talk about. But I thought because i i was it was so recent i was actually thinking ahead to this conversation i want to have with you and i thought it's you really have to appreciate what joy brings to sorrow and what sorrow brings to joy it's what gets us through each of them if all we have is joy we're going to be um complacent we need that we need that uh sidebar to to kind of uh, balance it out and I think the key for me is not to um, mitigate sorrow or over-exaggerate joy, but just be present. When you think about it, it's all we can really ask of ourselves, is to just be present. Be in the present moment, the present tense. The present is tense, right? So um, rather than... than Hide from it. Let's let's be there for it. If you study yoga, you know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Um, it's about acknowledging every moment for what it is. Uh, lastly, I want to wrap up, and I brought my little device here because I couldn't print this morning. Um, I want to read you something. I'm a huge Dave Eggers fan. Dave Eggers. Anybody read him? Yeah. Um, but I, he had me with a heartbreaking uh, story of staggering genius. It's that, just a great, great place to start with Dave Eggers. He wrote an editorial for the New York Times a week or so ago, and I just want to read this passage from it. With art comes empathy. It allows us to look through someone else's eyes and know their strivings and struggles. It expands the moral imagination and makes it impossible to accept the dehumanization of others. When we are without art, we are diminished people. Myopic, unlearned, and cruel. Okay, why did I bring that up? (laughs) Um, We have found ourselves in a time and and, uh, under an administration that has not had one artistic event in its White House. I'm sorry, I don't count Ted Nugent. This is by design, for the reasons I just mentioned. If you, if you really are present in an artistic moment, you're gonna probably, at some part of that moment, be made a little uncomfortable. I hope, if you come to one of my concerts, I hope you're not entirely comfortable. Tension release, I just got through talking about that um if it's if art is going to make you uncomfortable, if it's going to raise the specter that you might be dehumanizing a segment of the population, you're going to not go to great lengths to have those artistic events in your white house um, and that's not just the big white House, that's each of our houses. I go to a lot of places where I try to bring art to places that don't have art anymore. Um, We're very lucky here. I'm very lucky in Colorado. There's a big wide space in between that ain't so lucky. So um, think about that as you um, ponder all the myriad things you can do to um, have an artistic moment, be it a concert or an art opening or a poetry reading or anything. Um, You're doing more than just supporting the artist. You're actually shedding a little bit of light. You know, um, art, I like to use the expression, turns the crystal. Driving across from Colorado, I I was playing leapfrog with these very severe thunderstorms. And and so I had to keep the radio on because I was literally being surrounded by tornadoes and I needed to know where they were, which is kind of silly because I didn't even know what county I was in most of the time. But (laughs) I... Felt like I was doing something. But um, that meant I got to listen to some Heartland Radio and people saying things like, we are a country of laws. We have, These people need to obey our laws. We know who these people are. Well, that's this facet. The rest of that idea, if you turn the crystal a little bit, really speaks to what our system of justice is, yes, we're a land of laws, and any judge will tell you this is why we have trials, this is why we have proceedings to hear points of view, and consider lots of factors, and most importantly, provide mercy if needed. So it's not just about laws; it's how we, how we consider each and every instance, and um, if, if we can as human beings, turn that crystal a little bit so that we can experience a little more than just a quick sound bite like we have laws. Um, we'll be better for it. We'll be certainly solving some problems of dehumanization uh, that I, I think we all agree upon. I'd like to finish um, with a, a piece of music that's real important to me. One of the most life-affirming pieces of music I ever came across. I learned it from I didn't write it. I learned it from jazz saxophonist Jim Pepper, who was, until his death in 1991, probably this nation's only well-known Native American jazz artist. And he wrote this piece um, from his Kau tradition in, in northwestern U.S. and Oregon and Washington, the Kau nation. Um, it's called Wichita. Toe. And I'd love to invite my dear friend Andrew McKnight up to... Um, to play it with me